0: Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. If you're glad to be a child of God, let me hear you shout it out. Woo! Amen. Hey, uh, I want to start off with some scripture. John 10 verse 14. Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me." John 17 three. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Philippians 3:10 this is Paul he says I want to know Christ to know the power of the resurrection second Peter 1 verse 2 grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ first John 5:20 and we know and we know that the son of God has come and is giving us understanding so that we may know the true one We are in the true one, that is, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. My sheep know me. To know Jesus is eternal life. Grace and peace are ours through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ so that we may know Jesus, the true God, and eternal life. You see, knowing Jesus better is why we're doing this series called Name Above All Names. And since April the 26th, we've been unpacking some of the, some of the powerful know-Jesus-better truths that are designed to both uh, anchor our lives and to shape our lives. Maple Grove Jesus is, and and don't let these truths simply roll off your eardrums, uh, but let them penetrate deeply into your heart, soul, and mind, because if these things are true, if who Jesus says he is are true, if who, who these titles says Jesus are are true, it changes everything. Jesus is the word become flesh. Jesus is the mighty God, Emmanuel. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the prince of peace. He is the lamb of God. He is the head of the body. He is the bridegroom of the bride. He is the vine of the branches. He is the cornerstone of the building. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the everlasting Father. And if that doesn't deserve an amen at home and in this room, I don't know what does. Amen? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not too proud to beg. And I really want to encourage you this week to reflect on, think about and maybe even to pray over these names and titles. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the word that became flesh to reveal to us just who the Father is. Father, we thank you that you are the mighty God, Emmanuel, that you're not only powerful, but that you are God with us, that you're with us all the time, you're with us right now. God, we thank you that you are the good Shepherd. And that you lead us beside streams of living water. You lead us beside green pastures. And you walk with us through the dark valleys. Jesus, we thank you that you are the prince of peace. And when we were in conflict with God, you brought peace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I'd encourage you, take one of these, just pray over marinate it on it. Now, next week we're going to conclude this series with the title of Jesus that's used over 60 times in the New Testament. And that title is Our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Um, but I'm kind of bummed out that we're going to stop looking at some of these names and titles because there's so many more that we could dive into. And this morning, we're going to unpack John chapter 11 and, uh, and find another title of Jesus that's there. If you don't know what it is, stay tuned. Before we go there, I, I, I want to share with you something that I, I posted on Facebook and Instagram This past Tuesday, and it has to deal with the crazy insanity that our nation is experiencing right now. And and, uh, I don't talk about this stuff a lot. I talk about it, I think, enough, right? I I don't want the culture to determine what I speak about, but but I felt compelled to write this, and I want to share it with you. Uh, Hey, contrary to what we've been taught to think, I'm convinced that it's time for Jesus' followers to be known for what we are against like we are against hatred we are against violence we are against injustice we are against sin we are against the taking of innocent lives whether in the womb or in the world we are against lies slander gossip and malice we are against oppression we are against mistreating anyone because of the race gender age etc we are against those who take their power and use it to take advantage of the weak and helpless Uh, We're against the destruction of stuff that does not belong to us. Uh, We are against the trafficking of human lives and the destruction of lives through alcohol and drug abuse. Uh, We're against the raging cultural virus of selfism. Uh, We're against division and against those who create division and who seek to inflame division. Uh, We're against making the truth relative. We're against not treating others as we would like to be treated ourselves. Uh, We're against those who try to add religion to the grace of God. Uh, We're against those who who misrepresent Jesus for who he was and for who he is still today. We're against darkness and evil. We're against any cause that subverts or strives to rise above the cause of Christ and his gospel. We're against spiritual forces of evil who seek to steal, kill, and destroy all that is good in our world. And the list goes on and on and on, but I My point is that for us to be really for something, we have to be against the opposite. So you see, I I think being known for what we're against is not necessarily a bad thing. Amen? Amen. And please continue to pray for God's healing and God's purposes and God's way in our nation. Now, John chapter 11, it's a fairly well-known chapter. It it takes place just days before Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion. And in John 11, we find the fifth of the I am statements that Jesus uh, declares in John's gospel. So far in the gospel of John, he has said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And in John 11, we also find recorded the seventh miracle that John records in his gospels. Miracles that he said were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John 11 is also where you find that go-to passage, right? When someone says, hey, anybody have a Bible verse that you have memorized? And we say, yes, John 11 verse what? 35. And that verse is, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? Now, I got to be honest, um, which is good to do when you're standing up here preaching the Bible, Right? (laughs) I thought this was going to be an easy conversation for me to put together this week. It was not. I did my best, and I will trust the Holy Spirit to take care of the rest. Let's do this. And here's how I want to attack this conversation. We're going to walk through John chapter 11, 1 through 44, and along the way I'll highlight some truths. Lazarus was sick. John chapter 11, verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. I I have a map up here. You'll see that that, that Bethany was located. um, It's right here. You can't see it here. It's just south of Jerusalem, about about two miles. And Jesus at the time uh, of John chapter 11, because in John chapter 10, the the Jewish people tried to stone him, he, he left the area of Judea, he crossed over the Jordan River and was in the area, of Perea, where John the Baptist had done a lot of his ministering. He, he, he wanted to kind of get away from all the conflict where he could do his ministry more interrupted. And where he's at right now, it's about a two-day journey for him to get back to Bethany. And then John adds some commentary. He says, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, that hasn't happened yet. That happens the night before his triumphal entry when Mary anoints his feet with expensive perfume a year's wages. And we could add even a little more commentary, right? Uh, because this is the same Mary Martha that we meet in Luke chapter 10. Uh, you know the story. Um, Martha's in the kitchen, right? And, and kind of picked off at her sister because she's washing the dishes, preparing the meal, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she goes running to Jesus. to rat rat out her sister, right? You know, and and it didn't work out the way she thought it would. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, right? Anytime Jesus or your mom or dad says your name twice or your wife says your name twice, it's not good. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things. I wonder if that's you this morning. You're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So this is a family that Jesus is very close to, and their brother Lazarus is extremely sick. Have you ever had someone you love in, in this condition? It's not pleasant, right? It's not a pleasant experience. This was an extremely difficult time for these two sisters, right? I mean, there's, there's no hospital they can take them to, Right? There's not much in the way of medicine and medical treatments. I mean, there's no IV, there's no antibiotics. And each day he gets sicker and sicker and sicker. Things, vital parts of his body are beginning to shut down. It begins to look like to them that, you know what? I don't know if our brother is going to get better. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Not a bad idea, right? I mean, the brother is extremely sick. They're in trouble, and they turn to Jesus. And that's really what a Jesus follower should do, right? If we're in trouble, if we're in a desperate situation, we should turn to Jesus. Question, is that what you do? Is that what you're doing right now? And did you notice that they simply make the request? You know, they didn't make any demands. They simply said, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. You know, they didn't ask him to drop everything and come back to Bethany. Though, in the back of their mind, I think they're hoping, right? I think they're hoping that Jesus would do that. But they understand how important his ministry is. And, and it appears that they may have waited too long. Because by the time the messengers make that two-day journey, there's a good probability that Lazarus was already dead. But the messengers did not know that. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. Jesus says, you know what? I'm the author of life. I'm the author of this story, and the story will end the way that I want it to end. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And if I'm those messengers, I'm thinking, hey, this is good. This is good news. It's not going to end in death. I can't wait to get back to Bethany to let Mary and Martha know this great news. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And, and let's not just run past those things, those words. Because they speak to the truth that our God is a relational God. Yeah, that our God loves his people. That God, our God loves to be in a personal relationship with me and a personal relationship with you. Get it? Get it? Good. Just want to make sure you got it and it was good and you liked it. Okay. Good. <laughs> Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Lazarus was sick, and Jesus delayed. Now, now you would expect, right, with this close relationship, that when Jesus found out, he would drop everything. Hey Matthew, hey hey, hey Peter, hey hey James, Thomas. Lazarus is sick. Let's get everything together. Let's grab my go bag and let's go to Bethany. I mean, that's what you would expect, right? When a friend calls out and needs your help and said he stays two more days. Why did he wait? Uh, Was there a lack in commitment with these friends? Did did, Did he just not care about them? I mean, when a friend... I mean, wouldn't a friend, when called, run to the aid of the at call? Was it a lack of love? Did they not love him? Did he, did he not love them as, he, as they loved him? I mean, John says even Mary, right, poured a year's wages on his feet. They loved him that much. Did he not love them in return? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Again, an odd response. We're in trouble, his friends yell, and Jesus stays put. Why? John says, because he loves them. Because he, and that's a head-scratcher, right? Like, I mean, wouldn't love propel Jesus to go? Instead, John says it was his love for them that, that caused him to stay. I understand Jesus loves them, and he, and he wanted them He wanted them to see the full glory of God. Jesus loves them, and he wanted them to get a glimpse of him that they had not yet seen. Jesus loves them, and he wanted them to be put in a place where their faith would stretch and their faith would grow. Jesus loves them, and he had something much bigger and much better in mind than just the healing of a sick body, so he delayed. And listen, this is both a a good reminder and encouragement to us During those times when we pray or send out a plea for us not to so quickly get discouraged or get jaded towards God because God did not act as quickly as we thought he should act. You see, God doesn't, I don't know if you knew this or not, when God looks at his day planner, he doesn't make, look at yours first, right? Well, let me make sure this is okay with Steve. You know, what does Steve have for me to do today? That's not how it works. And and Jesus is the very image of the invisible God, and in this delay, he gives a powerful insight that I think is worth etching onto our hearts. You know, don't judge God's love for you based on what you can or can't see in the immediate moment. Like, he's not moving in my life right now, he's not answering my prayers, my child is still sick, my my wife and marriage is still in trouble, God must not love me. Don't do that. Don't judge God's love for you based on what you can't or cannot see in the immediate moment. Yes, Jesus delays, but it's not because he lacks love. And yes, someone could jump to that conclusion, but they would be wrong because his delay is 100% because of his love. Get it? Good. Now, before we move on, let me say that that's an easy concept to say amen to, to say get a God of good to, Right? To fill in, in any in sermon outline, right? Of course, sometimes God delays. And that's no reason for anybody to doubt his love or care. But then something happens to us. Our loved one is battling yet another round and bout of cancer. Our, our child just keeps getting sicker and sicker. We just want a job. and not, not, a, not a Fortune 500 job. We just want a job to be able to provide for our family. You're not asking for the moon, but it doesn't come. We pray, we ask, we plead, and our prayers don't, don't seem to be answered. Lord, when will you show up? Lord, when will you come and do something? Lord, how long will you delay? The psalmist can relate in Psalm 6. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint of heart. Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? How long does this have to go on? Yet sometimes our prayers and our pleadings seem like they're, they're falling on deaf ears, like God doesn't, that he's blind to our condition. But listen, nothing could be further from the truth. God is never blind. Or deaf to those he loves. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And listen, he does not, is not, has not, and will not. He does not, has not, and will not, and is not. Forgetting his people. One of my, when you say one of your favorite verses, there's like a lot of them. But I've always loved this verse. When I, first time I found it. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And have no compassion on the child she's born? Oh, I had a child? Really? I forgot all about having a child. Yeah, I cared for nine months, went through all that labor and all that. I forgot completely about it, right? That's ludicrous, right? That's the point. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on, my palm, on the palms of my hands or walls are ever before me. And by the walls before me, that, he's talking about Jerusalem's destruction and all hard times that people were going through. He says, no, you think I forgot you? I can never forget you. Uh, Engraved on the palms of my hands are your troubles and sorrows and everything you are going through. I will never forget you. You see, when God delays, it's for a good reason. He may be delaying so that our faith can increase as it does in this passage. He may be delaying so that we will learn to trust in him more fully. He he made delay so that we can see his divine power move in our lives in ways that it has never moved before. Jesus delayed, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? In other words, Jesus, it's not safe. It's not safe to go back to Judea. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And see, 12 hours of daylight equals the Jewish workday. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey guys, it's still daylight. And the work that God has for me is not yet finished. And until that work is finished, nobody will be able to lay a hand on me until it's time. And yet Jesus was being cautious by by crossing the Jordan and going to the region of Perea because it was not yet his time. But until it was his time, no one would be able to kill him prematurely. Amen? After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going there to wake him up. He said his snooze and, you know, he's so tired and worn out, he's not hearing his alarm go off. It's like, right, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Jesus, if he's just sleeping, if he's asleep, then we don't have to go back. We don't have to go back and risk our lives. What a good thing. Here, here's a quick sidebar. Jesus never promised us a life without risk. In fact, following Jesus often leads to risk. Now, we're not to take unnecessary risk, Right? I believe in God, and I'm going to walk across the interstate with my blindfold. I believe my God will deliver me. God will say, you're stupid, right? <laughs> you know, right? He's not talking about that. But he doesn't want you and I to walk through this like bubble wrapped, right? <laughs> you know, where let's remove every risk from our life that we possibly can so that we're no longer actually living. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe So, you may believe in who I really am and and what I can really do. But let us go to him. The Thomas, also called Didymus, which means twin, he had a twin brother, said to the rest of the disciples, I like this, right? Hey, all right, Let, let us go with them, guys. Let's go and let's go and die with them. Lazarus is sick. Jesus delayed. Lazarus is dead. He's what? He's dead. And listen, one day the same thing will be said of you, that you're dead. Yes, you are going to die. In fact, you're dying right now. Understand, everyone who's ever breathed this air and walked on this planet has died except two people, right? A guy named Enoch who walked with God. He walks so close with God that God says, you know what? We're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you come home with me? And he just took him. The other was a guy named, anybody remember? Elijah, in the fiery chariot, right? You check out what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7.2. It's better to to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take note of this. Take it to heart. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment... So, Christ will sacrifice once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sins, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. People are destined to die once and then to face the judgment. Question How does that make you feel? Hey, don't turn off your TV and stop watching. I see you. Don't do that. I mean, how does it make you feel? And note that this judgment is not a trial. It's not a trial where we bring our evidence to prove whether we're guilty or innocent. This this judgment is the point where our sentence is carried out, heaven or hell, based upon only one thing. In this life did we surrender to Jesus Christ or not? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Lazarus is dead. You know, this week I, I went onto a website. It's a a very encouraged, to make you feel good website. It's called deathclock.org. <laughs> and, and I went on there, and you plug in some data, then you hit a button, and it tells you when you're going to die. And it even has a tombstone, right? And here, here's, I put my data in, and love and memory, taking from us, Tuesday, 31st of May, 2039. <laughs> So I'll be 79 years old, three months, and 27 days. I have less than 19 years to live. And I started playing with the data. Okay, let me see. What can I do so I can live a little bit longer? I fudged a lot and got myself up to like 88, right? (laughs) Yes, okay, now I'm 88. I'm going to get my my body mass index. It's going to get down to zero. And you know what? I'm going to be very optimistic all the time. I'm not going to live so long, right? (laughs) And I got to admit, when I hit that button, And I saw that date in that tombstone. It was like, that kind of sucks. (laughs) I I don't know if I like that. See, everybody dies. The most powerful, sophisticated, intimidating, successful, and educated among us die. The dynamic businessman, the glamorous actress, the great athlete, the brilliant scientist, the famous television personality, the powerful politician, the most inventive entrepreneur, None can resist a moment when death will lay his hand upon them and bring all their fame and all their achievements to nothing. You see, death is no respecter of time or place, person or position. Get it? Good. And listen, death can strike at any moment, day or night, on the land, on the sea or in the air. Death comes to the hospital bed, it comes to the busy road, to the comfortable armchair, it comes to the sports field, and it comes to the office cubicle. Understand, there's not a single spot on the face of the earth where death is not able to strike. The philosopher Epicurus said it this way, It's possible to provide security against all ills, but as far as death is concerned, we men live in a city without walls. Death is a great... Equalizer, No one can escape it. Job put it this way. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave it, right? That's where we get, you can't take it with you, right? That's where we get, hey, you never saw a U-Haul, you know, following a a, a a hearse, right? You can't take it with you. You came naked, and all you're taking with you is really your relationship with Jesus. Now, I know what some, some of you are thinking right now in this room or at home. I mean, I, I can... I can sense the discomfort and the tension, right? Come on, Steve, we're in church. Stop talking about death. Let's get to the happy stuff. But listen, we must talk about this because this is one thing that every single one of us have in common. We are going to die. Question, does thinking about your death make you uncomfortable? Does thinking about your death, does it kind of make like this dark cloud begin to settle and weigh on your heart and your mind? And so, there's biblical support to back that up. Hebrews 2, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery. By what? By the fear by their fear of death. I, I went online and found a, a, a uh, survey, a recent survey. You know, surveys are good for what they're good for, right? And, and in this survey, fear of death, 11% are, are very afraid of death, 31% are somewhat afraid, uh, 27 are not very afraid, but only 25%, and, and, and we got what 7% don't really know, don't wanna think about it. Only 25%, right? They're like, hey, I'm not afraid at all. I, I got no fear at all. You see, what death is, at its core, it's separation, right? Physical death is a separation of our spirit from our body. Spiritual death is a separation of our spirit from God. Eternal death is our separation of our spirit from God forever. Again, every single person who has ever walked on this planet has died. Because in the early chapters of Genesis... Sin enters God's perfect world. The Lord commanded "Hit the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And in Genesis 3, we, they eat the fruit. And from that time on, death became the new temporary norm for mankind writes in Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. Lazarus is dead. Brothers and sisters, we cannot avoid death. We can't wish death away. We can see doctor after doctor, take pill after pill after pill, but we cannot keep death at bay forever. Death is coming for every one of us. Like that famous passage in 2 Samuel 14, 14. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Hey, I have a cup of water. All right. Okay, it's water. Calm down. Oh, was that water? No, it was. Okay, it's like, he said, it's hard to get it back up. You can't undo it. And and we can't undo death. Though some foolishly try like what they've done with the communist leader Vladimir Lenin since he died in January 21st, 1924. Since he's died, they have embalmed him, painted him, right? They spent a quarter million dollars every year to take his body out and make it look like it's alive. He's. They've been doing that for 96 years. There he is right there, kind of creepy. Here's a close-up look of him, right? You know, and, and And on the website that I found that in, it says that it's saying that he gets, his body gets better looking with age. It's like, are you kidding me? He's dead. You he can paint it, do anything you want, but the guy is dead. He can spend a like quarter million dollars every year, but he's dead. And the point I'm trying to drive home is that death is a powerful enemy, and we not, and we do not do ourselves or anyone else any favors by ignoring it. It comes for us all, but take heart. As you see in John 11, there's someone who's more powerful than death. When his revival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That number four is significant because the Jews believed that for three days, your, your, your spirit kind of hovered around the body in case you got an invitation to go back. But on like day four, you're gone, right? right? And so four days means Lazarus is not just dead, he is dead, dead, right? He is dead, dead. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. It's a great picture of community, right? They needed their family, but in really hard times, it's great to have a community come alongside you in those difficult times. Lazarus is sick, Jesus delayed, Lazarus is dead, if you had been here. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here. Ever felt that way? Been here. She just showed up, Jesus. It's an interesting statement, right? I mean, there's some faith in it. She she trusts that Jesus could have saved her brother. But there's also some, some misunderstanding, I think, wrapped up in it. Uh, she claims that if Jesus had been there, her, her brother wouldn't have died. Now, what gives her such confidence? I mean, Jesus never promised that Lazarus would recover from this illness. And here's the point you know, we often put words into the mouth of Jesus that aren't his. If only you had been here, Jesus, this bad thing would not have ever happened. But how do we know? I mean, we tie ourselves into these. The, the, these knots, when it's so much, these, these if, only, if only knots, if only you had been here, when it's so much better to stop, rest, and say, you know what? I did all I could. I prayed all I could. I trusted all I could. God's will was done. And, and maybe, just maybe, his being there with us was exactly what we needed rather than the answer that we thought. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you only been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. If Lazarus is sick, Jesus delayed, Lazarus is dead, if only you'd been here even now. And you gotta love that even now statement, right? I mean, she's still holding out hope four days after the funeral. And not without good reason, right? After all, Jesus had already healed. The synagogue ruler, Jairus' daughter, He already, in the middle of a funeral procession, right, saw the widow from Nain, and in the middle of the procession, she raised him back to life. That had to be pretty crazy. That'd have been awesome. But still, this is four days after the funeral. Lazarus is dead, dead. Now, to be honest, a a psychotherapist would probably diagnose this as a psychotic break. (laughs) But listen faith frequently looks like it's out of touch with reality, but that's because faith is in touch with a reality. That goes far beyond what we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch, what we can taste, what we can smell. And, and sure, Martha's sentence could have stopped that. Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would have died. But Martha refuses to put a period because she knows that God has the power to put in a comma. You know, as someone has said, you probably heard it before, I, I like it. You know, don't put a comma where God has put a period. And don't put a period where God has put a comma. In other words, sit back and let God do his thing and let God be God. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now, when it seems like you're four days late and I should give up. Even when it seems like your dream is dead and buried, don't put a period there. Because God may have an incredible comma that he wants to insert into your life. Get it? Good. She said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, and I think she's kind of disappointed because he said, Your brother will rise again, not your brother will live again. You see, Martha, like most Jews in that time, they believed in the resurrection from the dead, except the Sadducees, right? And that's why they were what? Sad, you see, right? That's how you know they're Sadducees and Pharisees. They were sad, didn't believe in the resurrection. She knew the scriptures like Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, that says many of, many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. I know it will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Well, that's a good answer. She knows that. Hey, I know in the future. But Jesus is about to take her understanding from a general res- resurrection to him who not only can provide the resurrection, but who is the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. Lazarus is sick. Jesus delayed. Lazarus is dead. If you only had been here even now, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is telling Martha that, listen, I'm not just the one who speaks about the resurrection. I'm not just the one who points to the resurrection. I'm not just the one who can resurrect. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Two statements, right? I am the resurrection and I am the life. That's in verse 25. And I think they're connected to what Jesus says in verse 26. Jesus says, because I am the resurrection, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Even though their body's in the ground, they will have a physical resurrection because I am the resurrection and the life. And because I am the life, everyone who lives believing in me will never die. And there he's claiming to be the source of eternal life. Yes, there's sin, but yet Jesus has defeated sin. And so if I'm living in him, my spirit will always live and always be with God. When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, the life, he's claiming to be the source of both. There is no resurrection and there is no life apart from Jesus. And beyond that, Jesus is making a statement about his divine nature. He doesn't just give life, he is life. And therefore, death has no power over him. And Jesus confers this spiritual life on those who believe in him so that they share in this triumph over death. 1 John 5, 10 and 11. God is giving us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we'll experience the resurrection because having the life of Jesus makes it impossible for death to defeat us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, in a mortal immortality, in other words, when we leave this body that we have right now that gets tired and old and sick and diseased and bruised, etc., you know, we, 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 we get rid of this perishable body, we put on the imperishable, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus is a resurrection life, we can live the same life Paul lived. I'm doing a study with some guys on this, and you know, we just finished studying this part of Philippians, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And Paul says, I can't lose, right? You know, he's not afraid of death. He's like, hey, I'm not afraid to die because... My death is simply a doorway to a better world. Uh, my death is simply a doorway to my awesome forever. So Paul says, "Hey, I'm not afraid of death." And because Paul was not afraid of death, he could really live. I'm really convinced that it's only those who do not fear death in Christ who really live fully for Christ. They're like, hey, Paul says, "Hey," and Paul's like, "Hey, I'd rather be dead and be with Christ, but as long as there's work to do, I'm going to do that work for Christ." Jesus, Lazarus is sick, Jesus delayed, Lazarus died. If only you'd been here even now. I am the resurrection and the life. And then the most important four-word question in all of humanity, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She says, I believe it. Most important question you ever answer because it has eternal consequences. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposed she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And hey, if you're going to go to the tomb to cry, we're going to go cry with you, right? When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet, that seems to be where Mary likes to be, and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We've heard that story before. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Why? Because of their sorrow, right? Why? Because he loved them and he loved Lazarus. Why? Because this is not how it's meant to be. This is not how God wanted it to be. Now Paul talks about how all creation groans, right? Groans for the day that God will set things right once again. And death has no more dominion. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Cannot he open the eyes of the blind? Have kept this man from dying, right? You some people you cannot make happy, right? You're always going to be critics. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It, it was a cave with stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there's a bad odor, and this is one time I love King James. Don't you know the King James says, "By this time he stinketh." <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say, by this time you stinketh, right? Okay, I, I like it. <laughs> oh, wow, you actually did it. I was just teasing, okay? And like, hey, there, there's a bad odor. It's been four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I think it applies to us, right? You know, if, if we want to see the glory of God, if we want to see God move in our, in our life in ways we've never seen before, we have to believe that he can. You know? We have to stop doubting and believe that he can. I mean, nothing is too hard for him, right? Nothing is impossible for him, right? But we think it is, right? Well, God couldn't do that. God couldn't change that. He, he can do anything, right? If he can raise a man who stinketh, he can do any, anythingeth, right? Um, so they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. And some people said he, Jesus was intentional to say the Lazarus name or else everybody would have came out. That would have been funny. Right? Well, no, just Lazarus. Get back in there. I didn't mean everybody. Just right? Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, <laughs> <You> know, <yeah. laughs> and that became a popular dance at the time, apparently, right? Everybody was doing the Lazarus, right? You know, <laughs> Long before the floss thing, right, the Lazarus thing was the thing, right? Uh, those at home, you missed it. I'm uh, sorry. Um, you didn't miss much. The dead man came out; his hands and feet wrapped with a strips of linen, a cloth around his face. Jesus said, "And they're all probably watching. This is so cool! Did you see this? This is great! We love it!" Just hey, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> you know, how about unwrapping the guy? Take off the grave clothes and let him go. I am the resurrection and the life. And I really think that Jesus is. We're about done. most important part is always our response, right? I mean, like this is true, it's like a really good deal. And, and God is looking for two responses today. And one response belongs to each of us, right? Some, it's come out. You know, come out of death. Come out of living your life apart from God. Come out of living in the fear of death. You know, you come out of rejection and ignoring of Jesus, come out of appeasing Jesus, and surrender to Jesus. I'm here to tell you that, that if you have not surrendered to Jesus, you're going to die. We're all going to die. But if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, you're going to die. And I'm here to tell you, if you're not surrendered your life to Jesus yet, that this world is as good as it gets for you. It only gets worse after you die, okay? And that's not a scare tactic. That's reality, right? Because Jesus doesn't want to scare your way into heaven, right? He doesn't want you to come to him just to escape hell. He wants you to come to him because he's your Lord and Savior and wants a relationship with you. But but if you're not right with God, I want death to scare you. I want you to be so uncomfortable. I, I want it to keep you awake tonight until you're ready to surrender your life to him. Because I want you, and you probably know a lot of other Christians who want you to surrender your life to him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one, including you, comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so I would just encourage you if you've not surrendered to Jesus to do that. If you're in this room, let me know. Let's talk about it. If you're online, don't put this off. You don't know when death can strike. I was talking to a friend at, 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 a, at a meal last night um, and. Um, you know, one of our elders, Jeff Ainge, was a great surfer in his days, right? And he was talking about going surfing one time in North Carolina and a storm rolled in and lightning struck one of his buddies and killed him on the spot. Now, that wasn't what he thought would happen that day. He thought he was just going out surfing. You don't know. And so, be very uncomfortable and I pray for your discomfort. Sorry, but I am. <laughs> and then the other response is, take off the grave clothes right? You know, take off the things of this world. Take, take off the stuff that was part of your old life. Take off your fear of death. You know, take off the idols that you are worship besides God, right? Take off your grave clothes and start living for Jesus. Stop looking for life in places other than Jesus. Because when you do, that's grave clothes. You, you wrap those things around you in that they're grave clothes. Stop looking for life. It's crazy. We do that as Christians, right? We come to Jesus, and we think we're going to find life in some other place, and all we're doing is grabbing those old, stinky, smelly grave clothes and wrapping them around ourselves again. Come out! Take off your grave clothes. Father God, we love you. We thank you that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Holy Spirit, don't allow us to move past this moment. Don't allow me. There's not a Christian in here, a believer online, you know, myself included, that does not have to seriously consider what kind of grave clothes we're wrapping around ourselves. And some we never even bothered to take off in the first place. That's not what you called us to. And I pray for those believers who are walking in the fear of death. Jesus has beat the devil to set us free from the fear of death. To live as Christ and die as gain. Help us to live that way. Help me to live that way. And God, I pray for those who do not know you. who are listening right now. Knowing about Jesus is great, but they need to surrender their need to him. Help them to do that. Help them to contact me. Reach out to someone who's a believer. And we thank you for your resurrection power, Jesus, because it didn't just, because you are the resurrection that didn't, your resurrection power didn't, it didn't stop in the first century and waiting till your return. Your resurrection power can resurrect our lives today, can take dead things and bring them back to life.